सहनावतु सहनौ भुनक्तु सहवीर्यंकवाहै तेजस्वीनावधीतमस्तु मिद्विषा वहै ओ नमश्रीशंकरानंद नमश्रीशंकरानंद गुरुपादाबुजन्मने गुरुपादाबुजन्मने सविलास महामोह सविलास महामोह ग्राह ग्रासकर्मणे ग्राह ग्रासकर्मणे in this chapter called vidyananda where the author is discussing the ananda or the happiness of a wise man it is said that this happiness is described in the scriptures in a four fold way in a four, in four different ways the happiness of a wise man is described first is dukha bhava absence of dukha absence of any grief that's one way that you find his happiness being described kamaapti another way you find the happiness of wise man described is kamaapti attainment of all the pleasures krutakrutyoham third way is a sense of having done all that needs to be done <coughs> fourth is praptak prapte prapyoham a sense of having accomplished all that needs to be accomplished so this is the four ways in we find in which we find the happiness of a wise person described in the scriptures <clears throat> of this the first one dukha bhava the absence of grief is what is being discussed as to how we find that being treated in the scriptures say the dukha or the grief can arise from two sources aihikam amushvakam from the sources in this world or from the sources in the world hereafter meaning grief or pain can be there in this life and the life hereafter <clears throat> in reference to that a statement from the brahmadarnya upanishad has been quoted atmanam chedvijaniyat aham ayam asmi ti purushah when this one knows the self that is kutas changeless <clears throat> or when one knows the self as brahma and when this knowledge is immediate kimichchan kasya kamaya shariram anusanjurayet then for that person that does not remain any object of enjoyment as such meaning that does not remain anything separate from himself and therefore there is nothing that can be classified as an object of enjoyment all that is included an object of enjoyment is something which is separate from me and then i want to make it mine or i want to become one with it so what is this whole idea of enjoying something when i find a separation between myself and something else and i want to be one with it then there arises this desire to become one with it meaning desire for experiencing that but the wise man finds that he himself is everything no there is nothing remains separate from him and therefore nothing falls in the category of something that is not enjoyed or not uh, that is something separate from him and thus what we call the objectivity is lost no more remains any what we call the real object of enjoyment and secondly also he discovers himself as as complete being and therefore that 
the desirer himself does not remain because desirer is a product of a sense of incompleteness. When I have a sense of incompleteness or inadequacy about myself, then naturally there's a desire to become free from that inadequacy. So when you find yourself to be adequate, even the desirer does not remain. And that's how all the grief that can arise on account of entertaining desires, on account of striving to fulfill those desires, on account of gaining various experiences which may or may not be satisfactory, all that grief that one experiences, the wise man becomes free from all that grief. And this is how he becomes free from the grief here in this world. <coughs> how about the, uh, the grief that can occur hereafter? Well, the grief meaning uh, pain can arise because of the karma or the actions performed in this life. These actions can be classified as punya and papa. Punya, the actions which are virtuous actions. Papa, the sinful actions. Punya papa dve chinta dukkha mamushmikam bhavet. So chinta, chinta and anxiety pertaining to either punya karma or papa karma can bring, a, bring about a future anxiety or a future grief. And wise man is free from that kind of a grief that can occur in future on account of his performing actions now. How is it? Because he knows himself as a self that is actionless and therefore I don't perform any actions. And that is how he doesn't have what we call the sense of kartrata or the doership. He does not even have the ego, the sense of individuality. That he does not even identify with the actions that are performed in the past. If I identify with the action, the ego, who existed in the past, then definitely there is a lot of sense of regret. Because I, am, I, I may have done a lot of things which I recollect which I should not have done. And this happens at the time of death or in the, in the old age. When people recollect what all they have done in the past, and all those actions come to haunt them, you know, it says, what, what did I do? Why did I do that? So that brings about a sense of guilt, regret, or, uh, you know, a sense of regret. Or why did I fail to do a given thing? That also can bring about in me a regret or, or a guilt. But since a wise man does not identify himself with the one who did that, because that is ego, that is all out of ignorance, he realizes the mithyatvam, the sense of doership, mithyatvam, also the actions performed, etc., and therefore he no more has any connection with what happened in the past. And so those things don't in any way create grief in him. How about the action that is performing now? There is no grief from them also, because just as the example was given, just as the water does not in any way wet the lotus, the leaf of a lotus, or the lotus petal, just as the water does not wet the lotus petal, and so also the actions being performed by the wise man now do not affect him at all. Why? Because he does not have a sense of doership. In fact, the actions never affect the Atma, they never touch the Atma. But on account of the sense of doership that entertain, as though I get connected to the actions and to the results also. The wise man doesn't get connected to the actions that are being performed by the body because he does not have the identification either with the body or the mind because meaning he is free from that sense of doership. <coughs> and so all right, the actions being performed in the present also do not in any way affect him. But how about the actions that are accumulated in the past births and that are waiting for him to enjoy? So as I said the other day, 
actions are looked upon as consisting of three categories. We keep performing actions in the human embodiment, the jiva, the soul, keeps on performing actions, deliberate actions, moment to moment. These actions can be either punya or papa, can be either virtuous or vicious, and they create corresponding effects which all get accumulated in the account of this jiva. So we have a long-standing account. Over, you know, our account is going on from the time beginningless, and things are getting deposited. They're like term deposits. So when a given deposit matures or fructifies, then we get the results of those deposits. So of all the actions that are being deposited, those which mature, they give rise to this embodiment, which is what we call prarabdha karma. Other deposits are all there waiting for maturity. So when this deposit is exhausted, some other deposit matures, and then that will be exhausted. That will become the prarabdha karma for the next birth. But how are all the sanchita karma, or all the accumulated actions which are waiting to be experienced and exhausted in subsequent births. So even if the wise man is not affected by the prarabdha karma, meaning the actions that are given rise to this body, or agami karma, meaning the actions that are being performed after the, in, after the, after the knowledge, how about the actions that are performed in the past and that are waiting for him, you know, to be exhausted? That is called sanchita karma. Sanchita Karamashabhi Jinta Gnani Nahanasti says, no, wise man doesn't have to worry about all the actions performed in the past. Isika Trunatulasya Vannidaha Kshanadhyatha Tasa Sanchita Karamasya Dagdham Bhavati Vedana. Just as the cotton from the Munja grass, soft cotton, if you, if you just throw it in the fire, how long does it take for that cotton to get burned? Instantaneously. And so also in the fire of knowledge, all the sanchita karma, all the accumulated actions, they all get instantaneously burned. This is what the Upanishad says. And now continuing with the verse 15, Uktarthe Bhagavad Vakyamvi Pramanayati. Now the author quotes here his statement, two, state, two, two verses from Bhagavad Gita. In order to validate, in order to support what has been stated as to how the fire of knowledge burns all the actions. So the verse 15. Yathaidham sisamidhagnihi Yathaidham sisamidhagnihi Bhasmasat kurute arjuna Bhasmasat kurute arjuna Jnanagnissarvakarmani Jnanagnissarvakarmani Bhasmasat kurute tatha, bhasmasat kurute tatha. Yatha edhamsi samidha agnihi bhasmasat kurute arjuna. Jnana agnihi sarvakarmani bhasmasat kurute tatha. Lord Krishna addresses Arjuna. Hey Arjuna, yatha just as samidha agnihi, just as a fire. That is wet, that blazing fire, the fire that is very well lit or very well kindled. Yatha edhamsi basmasat purde. In well lit fire, if you, if you throw what we call the firewood, basmasat purde, that fire turns all that firewood into ash, converts it into ash. That's a very beautiful example. See, the firewood is very heavy. When you, you know, when it is wood, 
If you carry it on your head, there's a big, there is a heavy burden. But then when you throw it in the fire, then it what? Turns into ashes. No weight at all. You can take those very ashes and smear on the body. That becomes a vibhuti. Vibhuti means what? Glory. Vibhuti, word vibhuti has several meanings. So vibhuti also means glory. So all that which was burdened so far, all these actions like, like this heap of actions, like that, the heap of the word, just as that was all a burden so far, all of them becomes now his vibhuti. So how the fire, and also all kinds of wood, doesn't matter what kind of wood you throw into the fire, it all turns into ash which is the same. There's no distinction in the ash. There is some distinction in the wood, all right, but once the wood is burned by the fire, it loses all its distinction. And similarly also, all the actions, sanchita karma, prarabdha karma, papa karma, punya karma, whatever actions are there, when these actions are subjected to the fire of knowledge, and so knowledge is very well compared to fire. Fire does two things, fire burns and fire illumines. Similarly also, knowledge burns and knowledge illumines. What does knowledge, what does, when, I mean, so fire dispels, dispels the darkness, knowledge also dispels the darkness of ignorance. Fire burns, knowledge also burns all the impurities. So what does really knowledge do? It burns impurity in the form of ahankara or the ego. That's the first thing that knowledge burns. By burning we mean it falsifies. So Shankaracharya, in explaining this verse in Bhagavad Gita says, that we don't have to imagine a configuration of fire and then the karma is being burned in that sense. In short, karma or the actions do not get destroyed. Actually when you, when you throw this fire wood into fire, the fire wood really gets destroyed. The actions may not get destroyed, but they become ineffective as far as the wise man is concerned. Just as you have the seeds, which if you plant in the earth soil, then they'll germinate and then give rise to sprouts. But suppose you roast the seeds, suppose the seeds are roasted, the roasted seeds will not germinate. And so also, normally the karma or the actions that have been performed, all of them will germinate in the form of karma phala, all the result of action. However, in the fire of knowledge, all the actions are like roasted seeds and therefore they become incapable of giving rise to the sprouts in the form of the karma phala for the wise man. And so, wise man doesn't have to experience the consequence of all the actions performed in the path because he has no identification. The, the example is that of the dream. So just as all the actions that are performed in the dream, when I wake up, I have nothing to do with them. I may have committed a sin in the dream, I am not liable to be punished in the waking state, or I may have won a lottery of a million dollars, I don't get a dime when I wake up. Why is it so? Because the one who performed the action in the dream is not the one who wakes up. So I realize, so stand, stand on the waker, I realize the mithyatvam, the falsity of the dream world. And thus, in the wake of the knowledge that I am the waker, how the, the effects of the actions performed in the dream, it just gets totally destroyed, because it is mithya or false. And similarly also, the wise man is now woken up to his true nature. Yes, sakshat kurute pravodasamaye svatmana mevadvayam, says the Dakshinamukha Stotra, pravodasamaye, when is one wakes up. Pravodha is a word, which means waking. 
for waking up to his true nature. So far he was sleeping. Anadimaya suptaha yada jiva prabudhyade. Ajamanidrama svapnam advaitam buddhyade dada. Says Gaurabhadacharya. That this anadimaya suptaha jiva This jiva, the soul, the ignorant one, who is supta, who is, who is sleeping. Anadimaya, in the beginningless sleep of maya or ignorance, the soul, the jiva is sleeping in the beginningless sleep of maya. But the sleep is where we see the dreams also. So in fact, what he considers is all these wakeful experiences are nothing but the dream that is created by this maya. Yada jiva prabhudhyade, when he is awakened to his true nature by the teacher, ajam anidram asvapnam, Advaitam, when he recognizes his nature as ajam, unborn, then anidram, devoid of sleep, asvapnam, devoid of dream, he actually discovers himself as a non-dual. And so the Dakshinamudhi Stotra says, yas sakshat kurute prabodasamaya svatmanam evadvayam, prabodasamaya, when he wakes up, and svatmanam evadvayam sakshat kurute, he realizes his own self, which is the non-dual. Meaning that he recognizes self as all-inclusive. There is no separation with anything. Thus he recognizes himself as a non-dual self, that is self of all. In that, in that waking, awakening to one's own nature, then all the past, meaning the ego, has been falsified, recognizes. The sense of individuality arose on account of taking this body of the upadhi to be myself. And when he becomes free from that sense of individuality, Meaning that ego is falsified, not destroyed, but like roasted, like the roasted seeds. The ego is there, the seed is there, looks like a seed, but doesn't have the seedness in there, as much as it does not sprout. And so ego is there, doesn't have the egoness, like the snake is there, but the poison, the fangs have been removed, and therefore the snake is become harmless. And so the ego of the wise man becomes harmless, doesn't produce any result, and thus, not being identified with the ego who performed all the actions in the past. You can say that the wise man has become free from the whole past. This is symbolized in the, the sannyasa diksha also, in, the, in the, the vows of renunciation. Supposedly, he is woken up to his true nature. He is dead, the past is gone, that's the reason why the name is changed. Everything is gone. As I say, he performs his own shraddha ceremony. He performs, he gives his oblations, only ablutions to himself. He is as though the departed soul, that soul is departed. Symbolically. That's the reason why when a sannyasi dies, then also they don't cremate him. They don't perform any funeral rites and things like that because supposedly the ego is not there. He's not only born again. There's nothing that departs for him, whom the rites are to be performed. Well, symbolically, this is what uh, is, is being done. Thus, this fifteenth verse, uh, the, this is a verse quoted from Bhagavad Gita in support of the, uh, in support of the contention, or the position that the fire of knowledge burns all the actions, and thus Sanchita Karma also are no more there standing in account of the wise man. Jnanagni <coughs> Sarvakarmani, there is a, a long discussion there. Sarvakarmani means all the actions. Some people believe that when the knowledge takes place, all the actions get destroyed, and therefore the person should die. So this was a question that was asked of me 
I went to the, the school in Michigan and I was talking about the, the, the Vedic concept of wisdom and liberation and everything else. One boy asked me this question. So, from what you say, he says that when a person gains his knowledge, then he will die. So, why do you say that? Because now he has nothing to accomplish and so why should he continue to live? Because I introduced the whole idea of this rebirth, etc., saying that there is an agenda. And that's what makes me take the birth again in another embodiment. So when the agenda is not there, there is no cause to continue to live. He says, you are right, he doesn't have an agenda, but body has an agenda, and therefore it continues, okay. But the point is that uh, there is no agenda left. So some people believe that when the knowledge takes place, then the body should drop off. But we say that the body has its own agenda, prarabdha, and therefore, until the agenda is exhausted, the life continues, but as it will say subsequently, there is no uh, real deliberate action being performed, willful action, meaning there is no individual will involved there, <coughs> this idea. And the 16th verse is a quotation from the 18th chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Yasyanahankrato bhavaha, Yasyanahankrato bhavaha, Buddhir yasyana lipyade, Buddhir yasyana lipyade, Hatva pisa iman lokan, Hatva pisa iman lokan, Nahantinani badhyade, Nahantinani badhyade. Yasyanahankrato bhavaha, then the 18th chapter, this is exactly the section that is being discussed in the weekend class these days, is Lord, say, Lord Krishna says, while explaining the mechanism of karma or the action, Panchitani Mahabaho Karnani Nibodhame. So, hey Mahabaho, hey Arjuna, learn from me that these, are the, these five factors are those which accomplish all the actions. So all, all the actions that are performed either by the body or by the speech or by the mind, all these actions are accomplished by these five factors. What are the five factors? The body, adhisthanam, the body. Karta, the, age, the doer, the agent. Karanam, the various, karana, karana means the various senses, like the mind, the organs of perception, the organs of action. Vividastra, pratakcheshtaha, and the various activities of the sense organs in the mind. So body, the sense organs, the karta, the doer, the various activities of the sense organs. Four, and the fifth factor is daivam, the grace of the respective devatas, respective presiding deities which enable us to perform these actions. So these are the five factors which are responsible for accomplishment of any action performed, any action that is good or bad, performed either by the body or the speech or by the mind. Atma is not one of the factors. The important thing is what? There are five or three or fifteen, doesn't matter what they are. So how you count them? The point is, Atma or the self is not one of the factors that is involved in performance of action. Tatraivam satikartaram atmanam kevalam tuyaha Lord Krishna says, in spite of this being the case, that in accomplishment of any action, even though Atma is not involved, because Atma is Kevalaha, 
He's non-dual, he's absolute. He's actionless. And therefore, he does not participate in performance of an action. It is true that without the presence of a self, nothing can be accomplished, no doubt. And still, the self does not participate in performance of an action. Like the example of that music box. That music box which has a little solar battery. And when we hold it against a light, then the music starts from that box. So without the presence of a light, the music is not there. So you cannot say a light is, is, you know, light is actually creating music. In the presence of light, the music takes place. And so also, in the presence of a self, the personality layers function and the action gets accomplished. But the Atma, the self, doesn't perform any action, meaning there is no doership in the self. And since, and still, if someone says that I am the doer, the Atma, the self is the doer, that shows that he does not have the right kind of training, he does not have the exposure, he does not have the right understanding. And this person of ignorant intellect, he sees and still does not see. He doesn't see. He sees himself as a doer, which means that he does not see. Meaning, somebody looks at the sky and sees two moons. So we say, you don't see. Oh, he sees. I see. What do I see? What do you see? Two moons. But that means you don't see. Because when when in place of one you are seeing two, so in spite of seeing, you do not see. Meaning, what you see is false. And so, so when a person brands the self as doer, enjoyer, that means that he does not see. Because the self who is non-doer or non-enjoyer, is seen as a doer or enjoyer. And that is how Lord Krishna says, he does not see. On the other hand, one who sees the true nature of the self, what about him? Says here, yasya nāham kṛto bhāvah buddhi yasya nilityate. So the one who doesn't have ahankrutaha bhāvaha, one who does not have this sense of ahankara, meaning sense of doership. Meaning one who knows that the sense of doership in the self is false. Karmani akarmaya pashet akarmanicha karmayaha also said Lord Krishna in the fourth chapter of the Gita that one who sees that even when the action is being performed one who appreciates the self as actionless. He doesn't have ahankrato bhavaha he does not have any identification with the karma or action meaning he does not have any sense of doership. Buddhiryasyana lipyade and one whose buddhi or the intellect does not get tainted with sense of doership. Hatva visayman lokan nahanti nani badhyade. Lord Krishna goes to the extent of saying that. Iman lokan hatvapi. Because Arjuna is, is now, Lord Krishna is teaching this to Arjuna, who is supposed to perform the task of maybe killing thousands of people. Says Arjuna, one who knows the self to be non-doer, Iman lokan hatvabi, in spite of killing all these people also, nahanti, he does not kill, nani he does not get bound by the results also. Amazing. In spite of killing all these people, he does not kill. So killing is just an illustration. Killing, yes, stands for any action. In case of Arjuna, the context being Arjuna in the battlefield, therefore the Lord gives the illustration of this killing as a typical action. But it is not only meant that if he does some other action that he is bound, even after killing, which is the most terrible action. And so, 
uh, in spite of killing all these people, which will be a horrible thing to do. Nahandi, he does not kill. Then who kills? He does not kill because he does not have that sense of doership. And therefore, even though appearing to do, meaning from the standpoint of other people, even though he appears to do things, from his own standpoint, he does not do anything. So, Hattvabi, in spite of killing, that the Lord represents the standpoint of the onlookers. Nahanti, he does not kill, meaning that represents his own standpoint. Somebody may feel that it is electricity that is turning the fan, because the fan is turning. There was no turning of the fan when the electricity was not there, and when the electricity is there, now the fan is rotating. That means the electricity is rotating the fan. That would be from the standpoint of an onlooker, from the standpoint of electricity, so I don't rotate anything. In my presence, the fan rotates. And so, nahandi, nandibadhyade, and therefore, he does not get, nandibadhyade, does not get bound to the results also. Because who gets bound to the result? One who performs the action gets bound to the result. When he does not perform the action, doesn't get bound to the result also. <coughs> in short, these are the verses, these two verses are quoted from Bhagavad Gita in support of this contention. The wise man becomes free from all the actions primarily because he is free from the sense of doership. And therefore, number one, he doesn't in any way get connected to the results performed by the ego in the past because he is no more identified with that. Nor does he generate any new results because even though the actions are being performed through his body, he doesn't have the sense of doership and therefore no new results are also generated in that sense. This is called the mukti of the freedom from karma. So in India, in the, Indi- in the context, the Vedic context, this bondage of karma or action is a very big bondage. This is the complex that everybody has there. Perhaps a bondage, a release from bondage of karma may not be very relevant in Ill- other places. But in India, where people believe in the past birth and the rebirth, there is a tremendous importance of being bound by the karma, that whatever I am doing is going to bind me, that will force me to take another birth. Those who don't believe in another, in another birth, they have no problem with this. But then those who accept the other birth, they know that by performing karma, in fact, I am uh, creating the potential of the next birth and so forth. And therefore, in that context, they say that one becomes free from the bondage of karma altogether. And the author goes even a step further. Or, similar, this was, the Gita verse was quoted in, in context of a battlefield, that in spite of killing all these people in the battlefield, one doesn't kill them. Now, continuing, Asmin Evarthe, in, in the same sense, there is a statement in Kaushitaki Upanishad, another Upanishad. And when you say something which is, you know, which is very uh, difficult or very uh, very disturbing or very terrible, says, Na matruvadhena, na pitruvadhena, na stena, na bhrunahatya, na stepapam chana, chakrusho, makhan nilam veti iri. Says, for the, referring to the wise man, even if he kills the mother or kills father, or even if he commits a theft, or bhrunahatya, or even if he kills an embryo, so all considered to be the, the most heinous sins, you know, to kill mother or father or to kill an embryo, the, ch- the child in the womb of the mother, all of these are considered to be the most horrible sins. Uh, 
Suppose a wise man does this. Nasya papam chana. He does not, he does not actually um, create any sin for himself. All right, but he must have some sense of guilt for doing all these things. Nasya papam chana chakrusha mukhan nilam veti. Or even the countenance on his face does not in any way get disturbed. So you find the same pleasant countenance on his face in spite of performing his actions. Meaning that he doesn't have any sense of guilt. Even a sense of guilt does not arise in him or he doesn't get any papa in spite of performing this most horrible things. So this statement from Kaushitaki Upanishad is being uh, explained in the verse 17 here. Mata Pitror Vadasteyam Mata Pitror Vadasteyam Bruna Hatyanya Dirisham Bruna Hatyanya Dirisham Namuktim Nasayet Papam Namuktim Nasayet Papam Mukhakan Tirnanashari Mukhakan Tirnanashari Mata Pitroho Pitroho Vadaha. If he does Vadaha means killing. So if he kills mother or father. Stayam. If they stay meaning theft is committed by him. Brunahatya. Brunahatya, you know. Or even if he kills an embryo. Anyat Idrisham. Or any such heinous act he may, act he may perform. Na Muktim even such heinous acts also do not in any way destroy his mukti or liberation. Meaning, he continues to remain a liberated person in spite of performing these kind of acts. So don't think that this is a license for a wise man to do anything he likes. That's not the idea. You don't expect anybody to do this, by the way. You do not expect a wise man to do any of these things. And still, this is what we call arthavada. This is merely, you know, they extol the knowledge extol the wisdom and extol also the knowledge of self who is actionless. To extol that knowledge it is said that a wise man who abides in this knowledge of the self that is actionless, suppose he happens to kill mother or father, and there are examples. There is an occasion where somebody killed his mother. You know who did? There is incarnation of Lord Narayana. His name was Parashurama. So, Matsya, Kurma, Varaha, Nrasimha, Vamana, Parashurama, sixth incarnation. He was the son of a Brahmin, a great sage, Jamadagni. Jamadagni was a great sage, but a very angry sometimes. Many of the sages in India were angry people for whatever reason, I guess, you know. So sages have been known to be very angry. Not all of them, but many of them. So Jamadagni also was a sage, very angry, like fire. Because they must be performing a lot of penance, a lot of penance. And that builds a fire inside, I guess, you know, because penance requires a lot of tremendous amount of self-control, you know, and so there's a building up a lot of fire. And so Jamadagni also was a very, had a, was known for his anger. The name of his wife was Renuka. And she was a very devoted wife and devoted lady. It seems one morning she went for a bath at the river, every day, every morning she must be going there for a bath, this morning also she went. 
And the story is that at that time, some Gandharva, Gandharva means those celestial beings, they're supposed to be known for their fun and their, uh, you know, their sport and things like that. So some Chitrasa, the king of the Gandharvas, had come with his many wives there, and they were all sporting in the early morning, they were all sporting in that water. And this lady happened to reach there at that time, and she saw this sport for some time, which also one should not do, but she did. That's all. That's all the sin that she had committed. And she, when she returned after the bath, the, that, uh, the face showed a certain, you know, the, the natural count, the countenance that she had. And the luster which was there on the face, it seems that the luster, you know, sort of, uh, was not there when she returned. And her husband found out that this is what had happened, that she watched this kind of sporting, you know, of this Gandharvas, and thus she had committed a sin. He was angry. And so he had three sons. Uh, the youngest was Parashurama, who was ill. So he asked his son, the eldest son, he says, come on, kill your mother. He says, no, I can't do that. Asked his second son, you do that. I cannot do that. Then Parashurama returned from somewhere. Parashurama, kill your mother. Then Parashurama used to have an ex. He always used to, that's why it's called Parashurama. His name was Rama. So there are so many Ramas. So son of Dasharatha also is Rama. And Lord Krishna's elder brother also was Rama. But the other Ramas are qualified as Parashurama, Balarama. And so Parashurama was, and then he took his Parashu, the ex, and chopped off the head of the mother, just in the instance of his father's command. Father was mightily pleased, says, tell me, what, what do you want? Uh, you know, ask of anything from me. He says, please restore the life of my mother. And that's how, of course, the mother's life was restored. But this is a story, which sounds a terrible story. I mean, when you tell this story, you can see the expression of his face. What? You know, that a sage is like that? And that a son can do this? And I will not at the moment take the responsibility of answering all these questions. But the point is, this is just in, in reference to what is being said here, you know, that the, the children, when, you know, what happens is, these parents in all enthusiasm tell the stories to the children, you know, all these kind of stories. And the children are just, you know, so what? Is this what the scriptures are teaching us? And poor parents have no answer at all, you know. So many of the stories, some of the stories are like that, which are rather embarrassing. <coughs> but anyway, this is the story of Vadha, of killing of the mother. But he was uh, untainted by that because there was no worship there. Simply a response to the command of the father, which he considered as dharma. This is all in respect to dharma as it was understood at that time. Just as Lord Rama also, he he he, uh, he, he went to forest. He left this uh, kingdom of Ayodhya and went to forest just on the command of the father. So then the, when he went to his mother, Kausalya, asking for permission to let him go to the forest, mother said, I'm, no, I don't give you permission. So I'm your mother and I command you to remain here. So if you are the father, if your father has given a command to go to the forest, I'm your mother and I'm giving you command to remain here. He says, no, father's command is greater, you know, whatever it is, that's a dharma. And so what is great and all this is determined by dharma shastra. So don't ask me why is it so and why it is not so. But the point is that he accepted the father's command as dharma. 
and that is how the up, upbringing was. So Pashurama's upbringing also was like that, and that's how he must have done it. But the point there is that for a wise man, even act as heinous an act as that does not in any way taint him. Mata Pitror Vasasteyam. Lord Krishna did all kinds of stealing, you know. So Lord Krishna used to every day steal butter and things like that from the houses, but then he is still not called a sinner. In fact, demonstrated that, you see, everywhere, he says, I am the self of all. Vasudeva means he is the self of all. And therefore, to demonstrate that everybody is divine, you know, in, 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 in their true nature, he himself took the role of everything. He took the role of the one who was playing mischief and harassing people and stealing things and all kinds of things they did. The child's pranks. But therefore, if you see a thief and remember Lord Krishna stealing something, then maybe you can see that in the thief also the same Lord remains, abides. Anyway, so it is not that a particular act really which is punya or papa. It is what is the intention behind the act, whether there is any doership behind the act or not. And so, Bhrunahatya, Anyadidrisham, Karma, or acts, acts of this kind, the Muktim Nasayet, these acts also do not in any way destroy the Mukti or the liberation of the wise man, do not in any way stifle or compromise the fact that he is liberated. Mukhakantirna Nasari, and more important than that, that he also know he remains free. In spite of performing the action, there is no guilt in him. And so the luster on his face is not in any way lost in spite of doing. That shows that he is not doing it because if anybody performs an act like that, there is going to be a tremendous sense of guilt and regret. And that is going to show on your face. But here you find that even the luster on the face is not affected. That shows that he doesn't have a sense of guilt which would arise from a sense of worship or kartratva. <coughs> this is, as we said, a tremendous exaggeration for the purpose of extolling the knowledge. It doesn't mean that we have to follow Parshurama and things like that, and we have to do that kind of thing, or that we have to naturally follow what is stated in this verse and take, have, consider it our license to perform whatever actions we want. It is not so. But just to extol the knowledge, often we find these kind of statements. In Bhagavad Gita also Lord says, that, as he said, just in spite of killing all these people, he does not kill, nor does he get bound. Sarvathavardamanopi sayogi mai vartate. Says Lord in another place, Sarvathavardamanopi, however he conducts himself, he still abides in me. Inasmuch as he does not conduct. Actually, we expect the wise man to be spontaneously good. We expect him to be spontaneously in harmony with the order of the nature and therefore we don't expect him to perform any action, any, any action that is unbecoming. All that is said is that at the same time what is meant here is that we should not necessarily judge the great people by our own standard and thus judge them that they have done something good or bad because unless we understand their perspective it is very difficult to judge the actions performed by them. That also is in, intended here. <coughs> So in these verses, the author has discussed the first aspect or the, the first kind in which the, uh, the happiness of the wise man is described. That is called Dukkha Bhavaha, a freedom from any kind, of guilt, any kind of grief. A grief that arises from hurt and guilt, from anxieties, from worries. All of these are because of Kartrutva or a sense of doership 
and never he is free from that. Then second one was Kamaptihi. Another way that the Upanishads describe, the scriptures describe the happiness of the wise man is Kamaptihi, attainment of all the pleasures. So wise man attains as though all the pleasures. And to make the point, the author, or author illustrates that point, uh, or, or supports Upta chaturya chatur vidhyamadhyay dhritiya prakaramaha Now the second, second kind, namely kama, the attainment of all the kama, all the pleasures, is being said in the verse 18. Dukkha bhava devasya Dukkha bhava vedva devasya Sarva kama apti Sarva kama apti Sarvan kama nasavaptva Sarvan kama nasavaptva Shemruto bhava dityataha Shemruto bhava dityataha Dukkha abhavavad eva Asya sarva kama apti shrutya just as the Shruti of the Upanishad says, Upanishad say that the wise man becomes free from all the grief. Similarly also we find that Shruti of the Upanishad say, Dukkha Bhavat, just as he becomes free from all the grief. Asya for this wise man, Sarva Kama Irita. So the Shruti also says that Sarva Kama the wise man also attains all the desired ends or all the the, the the pleasures. Not that he experiences all the pleasures, but then whatever one would experience, uh, if all the pleasures were simultaneously experienced, whatever would be the joy or the happiness, that is the kind of happiness that is there in the wise man, for the wise man. Asmin narse aitareya shrivakim arthadaf pathade And in, to make this point, to explain this, the, in the second line of the 18th verse, the author quotes, quotes means explains a certain passage from Aitare Upanishads. Almost quoted, but there is some slight change in the word, so you can say that he explains that passage from Aitareya Upanishad. Aitareya Upanishad is Upanishad belonging to uh, Rigveda. In the, in the ten major Upanishads, we have the Upanishads belonging to Rigveda, and Aitareya Upanishad is Rigveda. Yajurveda, the Katha Upanishad is Yajurveda. Ishava says Yajurveda. Bhadaranyaka is Yajurveda. And of the Yajurveda also has two branches. The Krishna Yajurveda and Shukla Yajurveda and Taitriya Upanishad. So Katha Upanishad and Taitriya belong to Krishna Yajurveda. Ishava and Bhadaranyaka belong to Shukla Yajurveda. And Samaveda, Kyano Upanishad, Chandogya Upanishad. And Asaraveda, Mandaka Upanishad, Mandakya Upanishad, Prashna Upanishad. This is how. So, Aitreya Shruddhivakyam, Sarvan Kaman Asau Aptva, Asau Avaptva, Hi Amrutaha Abhavat Ityadaha. Asau Aptva. So, Sarvan Kaman Asau Aptva means this wise man, Sarvan Kaman Aptva, having attained all the Kama, all the pleasures. So, Kama can mean pleasure. 
or karma also can mean the object of object of sense. So having attained all the pleasure, Amrutaha Bhavata, the wise man became Amrutaha, he became immortal. This is what Aitari Upanishad says about the wise man. Having attained all the pleasures, he became immortal. <coughs> Then quotes he makes, I mean quotes from Chandogya Upanishad. This is the Samaveda. Jakshan, Kridan, Ramamanaha, Stribhirva, Yanirva, Jnanibhirva, Agnanibhirva, Vaisirva, Naupajanam Smarana, Idam Shariramidi, Chandogya Sridivakya Marsala Pathadi. So Chandogya Upanishad describing also the, the wise man. So the description of the happiness of the wise man is always in terms of the other wise people. See, when they describe, what is the experience of a wise man? That experience also has to be described only in the terms that other people are familiar with. And therefore the happiness of a wise man also is described in what we call the local terms. And so says jakshan, eating or laughing. Jakshan can mean two meaning. So, eating or laughing. Kridan, sporting. Ramamanaha, rejoicing. Stribhirva, Yanirva, either with women, Yanirva, or with vehicles. Jnanirva, either with learned or wise people. Agnanirva, or with ignorant people. Vaisirva, or with friends. So this is how you find, either with women, with vehicles, with wise people, learned people, ignorant people, with friends, with all these people. Jaksham, Kridan, Ramamanaha. Eating, laughing, sporting, rejoicing. So these are the terms that we know. How, when will you be happy? When you're eating. Or laughing, eating something that you desire. Or laughing, rejoicing, sporting. This is how the happiness of an ordinary person is generally expressed. And therefore in those terms, and when do, when do you feel happy? Either sporting with women, or with vehicles, or with learned people, or with sometimes your friend and so forth. So this is how ordinary people get their happiness. And therefore, in those terms, the Upanishads often describes the happiness of the wise man, because in all other terms can you describe. This is the happiness that people are, are familiar with. So in the familiar terms, the happiness of the wise person also is described. <coughs> no upajanam. Smaran idam shariram. At that time, idam shariram nasmaran. At that time, even when he's sporting, the wise man is not even, it does not remember this body. He is not aware of the body. Upajanam, that which is right in front of him. So this body of his, which is right in front of him, that also he does not remember. In short, he doesn't have identification of the body. He doesn't, he doesn't sport and laugh and etc. as an individual. This is the idea. Now all those, so when there is happiness, the happiness may express itself in those forms, that's all right. But na upajanam smaran idam shariram, that this body also, without remembering this body, meaning not having being identified with the body, this is how. Idi chandogya sridivakyam arthataf pathati. The statement from chandogya upanishad is now pathati. The, the teacher here quotes, the meaning of that statement from Chandogya Upanishad. Jakshan kridan ratim praptaha 
चक्षं क्रीडन रतिं प्राप्तः शरीरम न स्मरेत प्राण शरीरम न स्मरेत प्राण कर्मणा जीवेदम कर्मणा जीवेदम सेम थिंग जक्शन जक्शन मीन्स ईडिंग और लाफिंग क्रीडन क्रीडन मीन्स स्पोर्टिंग रतिम प्राप्त है और रिजॉइसिंग Rati also means to uh, to have love for something. So Rati mpraapta hai, the rejoicing. Stribhir yanahi stasa itarehi, either with women, yanahi with vehicles, itarehi with other people. So this is how the happiness of the wise man is described. In short, this is what an ordinary person desires. And thus the idea here is that the wise man seems to experience that happiness which is which is equal to All the the pleasures that an ignorant person would desire. So, in that, in those terms, the happiness of the wise man is described. Shariram nasmare. He does not even remember his body, meaning he is not conscious of the body. He is not identified with the body. And if he is not identified with the body or not conscious of the body, then how does the how is the body sustained? If he if he does not sustain his body, who sustains the body? प्राण है कर्मणा जीवेद अमुम प्राण है अमुम कर्मणा जीवेद इट इज अ प्राण इट इज दिस वाइट लेयर दैट एक्चुअली कीप्स एम अलाइव इन शॉर्ट इज अ प्रारब्ध लेयर दैट कीप्स एम अलाइव वाइज मैन इज अ वन हु इज कम्प्लीटली सरेंडर हिमसेल्फ टू द ऑल्टर ऑफ डेस्टिनी ही डजेंट हैव एनी फ्री विल एट ऑल इन दैट सेंस इन द सेंस दैट इज नथिंग टू बी अकाम्प्लिश्ड एट द लेवल इंडिविजुअल लेवल देवर दर इज नो डिमांड दर इज नो फ्री विल Then who commands? Who controls his life? The destiny controls his life. In short, he has completely surrendered himself to the altar of destiny. And that is what is meant here. But when it is said, "Prana karmana amum jive," it is the prana that keeps him alive. <coughs> okay, fine. We'll continue. पूर्णमद पूर्णमद पूर्णमुदच्यते पूर्ण से पूर्णमादा पूर्णमेवशिष्य ओ शाति 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 शंकर शंकराचार्य केशव बादरायण सूत्रभाष्यत वंदे भगवत ईश्वरो गुरुरात्मेदे मूर्तिभेद विभागिने व्योमेहाय दक्षिणामूर्त नम ओ शाति 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 हरि ओ श्री गुरुभ्यो नमः हरि ओम